At Baptist Health South Florida, it's our mission to care for you when you're injured or sick and help you stay healthy and fit. Welcome to the Baptist Health Talk podcast, where our respected experts bring you timely, practical health and wellness information to improve your family's quality of life. Welcome Baptist Health Talk podcast listeners. I'm your host, Dr. Jonathan Fialco. I'm a preventative cardiologist and lipidologist at Baptist Health's Miami Cardiac and Vascular Institute, where I'm also chief of cardiology at Baptist Hospital and the chief population health officer at Baptist Health. February is American Heart Month. Earlier this month, we talked about men's heart health. So today, we're shifting our focus to heart disease in women. It's the number one killer of women in this country, and though heart disease strikes both women and men, women are more likely to die from the disease. Why is this the case? And what can women do to understand more about taking care of their hearts throughout their lifetime? I'm pleased to welcome Dr. Heather Johnson, a preventative cardiologist at the Christine E. Lynn Women's Health and Wellness Institute at Boca Raton Regional Hospital, which is part of Baptist Health. Welcome, Heather. Thank you so much, Jonathan. It's a pleasure to be a part of this today. So there's a lot we can discuss regarding heart disease in general and prevention, but certainly as, as pertains to women, as well as I'd like to have time for us to get to maybe some of the particular ways we're now approaching women for both identification of risk of heart disease and assessment and improvement in their risks. Um, but let's just start with some of the basic differences between men and women. And I know we're still learning a lot how that pertains to heart disease, but what would you perceive or what's known as the basic differences either anatomically and or hormonally or other aspects which differentiate? to women's heart health and how we would approach a woman with heart disease? It's a great question. So there are a lot of differences when we talk about as far as women versus men in comparison to heart health. Some of the basics, even our anatomy. So for example, women's hearts are slightly smaller than men's. Even our arteries, our blood vessels are smaller. We also know that as women, we may present as far as with heart disease with greater inflammation and not so much cholesterol buildup. And that also may play a role as to how we may present with heart disease. And we'll talk about some of those ways in which women can definitely present. There's a lot of discussion and growing research as far as hormonal differences. We know as far as the premenopausal phase of women and different estrogen types that may actually protect women a bit longer. And so women may present later than men as far as heart disease, however, we also know the American Heart Association talks a lot about the menopause transition. And so many times I may have women ask me, well, Dr. Johnson, why is my blood pressure going up? Why is my cholesterol going up? Things are definitely shifting over these past few years. Well, that transition from premenopausal, perimenopausal, and menopause, as far as difference in our hormones, plays a role as far as increasing blood pressure, changing our cholesterol, and increasing our risk for heart disease. So there are a lot of different factors we're looking at as far as women versus men. Are the anatomic differences you mentioned, the smaller hearts, smaller arteries, is that what's felt to be one of the contributors towards why women may not do as well with heart disease as men? Um, or is that just not really, really related towards uh, those, those types of outcomes? It's a great question. As far as the artery size themselves, there is a concern as far as the level of inflammation that's present. However, as women also, unfortunately, we may present later because our symptoms may differ quite a bit. So although chest pain may be the more common symptom, 
We are also more likely than men to present as far as nausea, palpitations, fatigue, cold sweats. And so how our arteries react as far as the inflammation to stress, the presentation of a heart attack can definitely differ. And so unfortunately, as far as women, yes, we are more likely to develop heart failure after our first heart attack. We're more likely, unfortunately, to have death or to die after our first heart attack because there are different ways as far as how women may present, either as far as delays in presentation, our actual mechanics, as far as the way our arteries are and levels of inflammation. But unfortunately, as women, we may not necessarily have the same testing, invasive therapy, or appropriate referrals when we present with heart disease. Great points you're making, which is not just the presentation, but resources, how the woman identifies themselves as risk. What you brought up a little bit earlier is fascinating, which is Unlike men, which may have a little bit more of a linear progression of aging and their risk of heart disease, and yes, there might be a male menopause and testosterone drops, and another podcast, but, but women do have these stages of their um, hormonal support uh, based on age, premenopausal, perimenopausal, menopausal, post. Do you identify, let me put it a different way, do you customize an approach to a woman who comes to you for a preventive evaluation based on their age and their hormonal status um, is that coming to play when you're actually evaluating a woman? That's an outstanding question. So I have the pleasure of seeing women across age groups. So basically 18 years of age on up. 101, I think, has been so far as my highest age group God so bless. far. Right. Yeah. And what we see is that even as far as in younger women, although we're not necessarily me measuring hormones, there are certain women that may still have a higher risk of heart disease, even in the premenopausal stage. So what we tend to do is take a very detailed history. And certain things in our lives as women, such as pregnancy, may even play a role as to how early we may perform certain tests or look at certain conditions, because those, those situations, such as pregnancy-related conditions, even though it's premenopausal, can still have an effect on our bodies. We also know that certain women may have different changes in cholesterol and blood pressure at a more accelerated rate in that perimenopausal time. So we may follow very closely as far as how often home blood pressure monitoring is done. Maybe we're repeating certain tests that we may have done earlier, such as certain imaging like coronary artery calcium scores over various years. So there are ways in which we may monitor based upon those baseline risk factors. Unfortunately, certain conditions such as diabetes, also smoking really trumps that premenopausal sort of protection we talk about. And so it's very important for younger women to understand that heart disease is still a very real risk. Unfortunately, not many women understand that at a younger age, and we're realizing that awareness has actually decreased over time. So kudos to you, Jonathan, and the entire Baptist Health team for trying to get the message out. So hormones do play a role, but at the same time, we're looking at the entire woman across the age span. So you and I are both passionate about prevention, and it's a term that gets thrown around a lot, and sometimes we don't think about what it means. I like to say to my patients, it means taking someone who looks well and feels well and saying, is there anything going on that could cause a problem in the future that's preventable? We can't prevent everything. We don't want to be overly cautious about things that might not produce risk. But going back to the, let's say, the premenopausal women, great point you made that if someone's diabetic and smokes, it kind of trumps the benefit of being premenopausal. So don't think I smoke, but I'm a young woman, so I can't get heart disease. What other conditions have we picked up that can 
suggest a woman who might be at risk for heart disease in the future uh, at a younger age. Um, we can talk about inflammatory diseases and you know maybe in the in the sugar and, and insulin resistant. Where, where what do you kind of educate and see for yourselves? Outstanding question. So to start off with, as far as I like to highlight that, like you, I am a preventive cardiologist. So many times women may arrive in clinic and say, I never thought I needed to see a cardiologist. And I say, guess what? You're seeing a preventive cardiologist. There are two things I say. Number one, my passion and my goal is to help prevent heart attack, stroke, heart failure, real heart events in women. That's our goal. When we talk about our testing and our evaluation, the goal is to prevent heart attacks and strokes. However, I also share that it is never too late. So even if someone who may have had heart attack, heart failure, or stroke, it is still my passion and our goal to prevent another event. And so we talk a lot about quality of life, preventing heart events. As far as in younger women, premenopausal, but across women of all ages, there are some important things we look at. Autoimmune diseases such as lupus, rheumatoid arthritis are very, very important contributors to heart disease earlier in women's lives. Those are conditions what we call female predominant. For example, lupus and rheumatoid arthritis up to 90% more likely to occur in women. Unfortunately, the inflammation associated with those conditions also results in inflammation in the arteries and increased risk of heart disease nearly doubles it as far as earlier in life. Also, conditions such as polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS, very, very common condition in women as far as higher risk of infertility, but also what we talk about is insulin resistance or the body's difficulty as far as processing blood sugar, higher risk of diabetes, difficulty controlling weight, but also increasing risk of heart disease. In addition, pregnancy-related conditions. So what we realize is that such as gestational diabetes, developing diabetes during pregnancy, gestational-related high blood pressure or more severe conditions such as preeclampsia or eclampsia, although some of those conditions may resolve after delivery, there nearly doubles or risk as far as a woman's risk of heart disease even earlier in life. And we're talking about approximately 10 to 15, even 20 years. So although it may not be in the front of our mind as far as what our pregnancy history was, it is a very important risk factor that we should share with all of our providers. So, so our role is not to scare people, it's to educate and provide opportunity to avoid uh, problems in the future. And you just very eloquently uh, elucidated kind of three kind of conditions that a young woman would generally not identify themselves or even be identified in the medical community as I'm at risk for heart disease, whether it be gestational diabetes, which goes away at the end of pregnancy, but there's something going on in your way your body is handling uh, you know, certain food substances and insulin, et cetera, et cetera, preeclampsia and blood pressure issues with pregnancy. And then of course, these inflammatory diseases, you were very articulate at the beginning of your, your, your comments that women's, atheros, women's artery disease is a little more inflammatory in nature than a man's, and this suggests some inflammatory predisposition in women with the conditions. So if a relatively young woman, 35, 40, 45 years old, was preeclamptic, had gestational diabetes, maybe has lupus, but it's at a low level, and they're being followed by their general practitioner well, what would you educate them for? What would you then say, you know, let's look at you at potentially high risk down the road and let's address it now so you don't get to, you know, what we want to avoid ultimately, was, which is, as we said, heart attack and stroke. 
So our role as far as in preventive cardiology is I have the pleasure of working with primary care providers, rheumatologists, OB, gynecologists, endocrinologists. It's basically we consider ourselves as part of the team as far as women's health. And you're exactly right. Our goal is not to scare women, but to really make them aware. So this way, there's this focus of really a heart healthy lifestyle, not just beginning of the year for a new year resident resolution, but throughout our lifetime. The other thing is that sometimes women may go years as far as having cholesterol checks, being screened for diabetes, or being aware as far as keeping an eye on those risk factors. And so we become a part of the team sometimes if there are gaps in care, but then also to look at other specialized tests, maybe beyond the basic cholesterol panel that may be done through with certain providers. And so that's what's unique about this field of preventive cardiology is that we tend to look, as I say, we lift the layers of the onion a little bit more. And we tend to look for a little bit deeper to determine what are some things we should be concerned about? What should we monitor? We also know that during our lifetime, we may switch doctors, switch health systems may move. And so having that knowledge, being armed with how do you make sure that you are protected and monitored over time is key. But as I share with my patients, the goal is to get out, live a healthy life, enjoy life, but just be aware of those risks. I think that's, that's, that's again, well said. It's, it's, you don't, prevention is in people who feel well. And they would kind of don't think about, well, you know, I may have this, or I may have this, I may have this. And the opportunity is to say, well, you have certain signals or things in your history or findings on a test that suggest you might want to be a little more aggressive in controlling those risk factors, which, 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 as we said, uh, spoke about many times what they are, but those hard, healthy lifestyles and, 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 and prevention. Um, so a couple, couple of other points. Um, one is a, a kind of a philosophical question, maybe than, than, than a scientific question, but again, if someone's going to ask you, oh, it's just my genetics or, you know, how much is the lifestyle components and how much are environmental factors? And I think we could all agree that heart disease is the result of all three. But but when you're evaluating a woman at various stages of their life or their various stages of their cardiovascular journey, um, what are the components that you put emphasis on between, let's say, genetics, lifestyle and environment? It's a great question. I agree. All three are important contributors. As I often share, we didn't get a chance to choose our parents and we didn't choose our genetics. And so I appreciate when women, and I also see men in my practice, but when anyone walks through the door and say, Dr. Johnson, I am concerned. Family members at this age had a heart attack or a stroke or have high cholesterol or high blood pressure. And I wanna make sure I am okay. That is part of the knowledge that we share, but we put a lot of emphasis on lifestyle. The American Heart Association and many other organizations highlight the fact that yes, there are things that we can do to help lower our blood pressure, lower our cholesterol, and to help work against some of those family history genetic factors that we may have inherited because of the fact that we know we can tackle certain things to lower our risk. We all have a certain risk of heart disease, but how can we lower it? And then sometimes, yes, we talk about lifestyle and heart healthy diet and physical activity, but sometimes, yes, medications, they are a component. And that's just, as we talk about, we sometimes have to battle that family history and genetics a lot more. Environmental influences are key. We know a lot as far as location, as far as where we're living, certain stressors in our lives. As I talk about with a lot of patients, it's how we manage those stressors and what can we control versus what we cannot control. And so as much as we can adjust and alter certain things in our lives, that's what we're going to focus on in order to live a healthier life. 
Well said. Um, uh, and the few final minutes we have, I have, I have two, two further points. One's, one's a little bit bigger than the other one. The bigger one would be going back towards a little bit now prescriptive type of information. You brought it up a few times, but let's be very um, specific for the listeners. So what would be the signs and symptoms a woman may experience, or not just what's written, but what you see in a woman, um, which might represent the benefit of seeking help, cardiovascular evaluation, and or if it really gets a significant, um, a more aggressive therapy, like maybe even going to an emergency room. So what would, be, what would be the things that you see in your practice and in your space more, more commonly than others? And how do they differentiate from men if, if in fact they do? Exactly. Great question. So I always, always share with women the importance of advocating for yourself. Your symptoms are important. So many times I get asked, well, Dr. Johnson, is it, is it all in my head? And my answer is listen to your body. Many times I've had women present, yes, chest discomfort is the word I'll use that tends to be more common, but at the same time, what differs than men, because men also can present with chest discomfort, is that women sometimes do not present with any chest discomfort or the chest discomfort can be associated with racing heartbeats, palpitations, lightheadedness, dizziness, nausea, cold sweats, fatigue, insomnia. What breaks my heart is that many times I hear women may say either of themselves or a family member that they may present with these symptoms and they were diagnosed with asthma or they were diagnosed as far as you know, as far as managing your stress better. Anxiety. or yeah. Exactly. Anxiety. Those are things that really break my heart because it is important for women to also have their heart evaluated. We often say that, yes, if you're experiencing chest discomfort, shortness of breath, you know, feeling like you're going to pass out, things like that, please, yes, seek urgent care. Those are emergent symptoms. Many times women may wonder, well, what if it's not anything? But we have to make sure that you're getting evaluated and tested. That's what's key. So we can exclude heart attack, heart failure, or other symptoms. Also, we have understand, too, that sometimes blood pressure is not as well controlled. And that can also contribute to some of the symptoms. So it's always an honor to work with, with women. And sometimes we even ask, please present to urgent care. Please present to the emergency room. I'm happy to see you afterwards. We want to make sure that you're seen in a timely manner and that you have any important and emergent tests that need to be done. I mean, we can go on for a long time regarding this. It's just such a wealth of information and experience. Um, but we don't have <laughs> all day <laughs> for this podcast. So my last question is, it's, it's, it's not a minor one, so I don't want to diminish it. But sometimes there's an interesting aspect of, of our medical condition. And sometimes it gets a lot of press, which might, which might not be proportional to the risk. So speak a little bit about um, spontaneous coronary artery dissection, uh, ESCAD in women, which is a real phenomenon. It's a real important phenomenon, but obviously within the context of its, its, its prevalence relative towards other, you know, more bread and butter cardiovascular issues that a woman may uh, need to pay attention to. It's a great question. So spontaneous coronary artery dissection or SCAD is an important condition in women. Although it is rare as far as contributors to heart attacks, it can cause a heart attack, but it's one of the more common conditions we may see in younger individuals who present with heart attacks. It's very different because it's actually due to a tear in the artery, and it leads to a limit in blood flow to the heart. And symptoms are severe, chest pain, shortness of breath, palpitations. It is a reason to go to the emergency room. 
part of the workup is very similar to the workup of a heart attack. They're diagnosing you, trying to figure out what's going on. And so it's important condition. It's very, as far as, although it's not very common, it is still a very important condition as far as why younger people may present with heart attacks. The other thing too is that in following women with SCAD is that the evaluation, even after the artery has been repaired and after discharge from the hospital, the evaluation does not stop after discharge. It's actually important to look at other arteries in the body to see, is there an underlying condition that contributed to this in the first place? And so as I share with women, many times you're trying to figure out what's happening to the heart as you're having symptoms, get to the emergency room. Yes, there's important tests that can happen. They can help diagnose it, be it ultrasounds and different things of the heart that they're looking at. Sometimes there's a scare of a worry, especially during this time of going to the emergency room. Please do not hesitate as far as going because there are different conditions that can present in women, all can appear as far as different types of heart attacks or heart attacks, so do not hesitate going. And that's always our biggest concern is women delaying care and not being diagnosed. So I think the take home point is listen to your body, um, but don't think it can't happen to you because everyone's at risk, um, um, including women who are of premenopausal age who you will, would otherwise not be thought of as risk. Great stuff. I mean, I'm, I have so many more questions that I'd like us uh, to review and, and hear your responses to, but I guess we'll have to have another podcast and follow up. So uh, put it in your calendar. Um, thank you. Thank, thanks, thanks again, Heather. And, and to our listeners, um, if you have any comments or suggestions for any future uh, podcast topics, please email us at baptisthealthtalk at baptisthealth.net. That's Baptist Health Talk at baptisthealth.net. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening and stay safe. Find additional valuable health and wellness information on our resource blog at baptisthealth.net slash news. And be sure to interact with us on our social media channels for live and upcoming events. This podcast is brought to you by Baptist Health South Florida, healthcare that cares.